Attention, all troops. He's alive. Alive. Welcome to the Rapnolis. If you spent a lot of time in arcades in the 1980s, playing a lot of video games at home, just immersed in arcade culture, then you probably had this dream. The dream that you would get a large, full arcade game in your own home. Let me just say, this never happened to me. But I had an experience that was very close. A friend of mine got an arcade game. And not just any arcade game, Dig Dug. And he got it only a couple of months after it came out, when it was still very popular. I can't say that this friend was one of my earliest childhood friends. He was kind of one of those friends you met when your main friends were away, and you kind of hit it off, and then you spend maybe a summer together, and then it ends. That's exactly what happened to us. But it happened in a way that taught me a lesson about people. I knew this kid from school. He only lived a couple of blocks away from me. Both of my best friends went away for the summer. So I'm riding my bike one day when I went past his house and I saw him sitting out on the stoop. I pulled over and we started chatting. Then we decided to start playing board games. As it turns out, we were both without friends. So this was perfect. We liked a lot of the same movies, the same TV shows, and we loved playing board games. I would show up at his house at 10 in the morning and I wouldn't leave until dinner time. Sometimes I would even stay through dinner. His parents were really nice. We had a great time. Then one day I came over and he wasn't out front to meet me like he usually was. I knocked on the door. His mother said, oh, come on in. You're in for a real treat. They brought me down in the basement. There was my friend playing Dig Dug, his own Dig Dug machine. Steam must have shot out of my ears and my head almost exploded. I was so excited. He was smiling ear to ear. It turns out his father worked for some guy who worked for some other guy who owed him a favor and... Somehow a Dig Dug machine became part of that favor. Who cares? We had Dig Dug. For about two weeks, we played it, and word of the Dig Dug machine grew. People were talking about it. There wasn't another Dig Dug game in town at any of the stores or anywhere. So I guess I wasn't surprised when one day I came over to his house and there was two other guys, much older, playing Dig Dug. Now these weren't friends of his beforehand or family members. These were guys who I'd seen at like the local stores and stuff. He had seen them, he mentioned the Dig Dug machine, they sort of invited themselves over. From there, his popularity grew astronomically. Everybody wanted to come over to play free Dig Dug. It got to the point where I could hardly get into the small area of the basement where people were waiting to play the game. Now, I liked Dig Dug and I loved video games, but I kind of would have rather been able to just play board games with my friend than sort of hanging around with these people who we didn't know. So I invited him over to my house a couple of times and each time he refused. And we stopped talking, and I stopped going over there. Our relationship sort of fizzled out. Then, one of my two best friends came home. I started hanging out with them. I told them about the Dig Dug machine. Then one day, I hadn't seen my best friend for a couple of days, and we got together, and he said, oh, I was over at that Dig Dug machine at this guy's house, and it broke while I was there. I was like, oh, that's a bummer. Did they fix it? He said, no, one of the guys who had come over really laid into it, got very angry, and basically tore the mounted joystick, the whole front panel, off. If you didn't guess, after that happened, nobody went over to this kid's house anymore. And it had a weird effect on him. I guess he kind of realized at that point that he had been being used for his game, and he lumped everyone into that category. 
I went over to ask him if he wanted to go play with us and do some other stuff. And he made up some excuse, but I could tell he was kind of angry. It's funny, you would think as an adult that we would learn our lessons. But even as I've gotten older, I've seen this exact same behavior happen again and again. Of course, it's not always with a Dig Dug machine, but it's with other things, perks, things that people share with one another. And it seems like it's very easy to use another person. And what is left behind is usually a confused and bitter kid, even when it's an adult. What's left behind is sort of a child. So if you do have something really cool in your life, remember to share it with people who really can appreciate it. I really do treasure the time I got to play that Dig Dug machine. Having access was just as I had imagined it would be, and I will always treasure that memory and appreciate it. On today's show, we're going to talk about Dig Dug. We'll talk about the game's inception. We'll talk a little bit about the company that made it. We'll talk about the gameplay, the game scoring, a little bit about the characters. We'll talk about the glitches, and we'll throw in a few surprises here and there. We have an info-packed episode ahead of us, so without further ado, let's start the show. game Dig Dug was created by a company called Namco. Now Namco is probably best known as that company that created the sort of popular game, you might have heard of it, Pac-Man. But a little bit about the company, where the name comes from. Masaya Nakamura founded the Nakamura Manufacturing Company back in 1955. It was based out of Tokyo, Japan. And the company started running children's rides on the roof of a department store in Yokohama. And that business would eventually expand. In 1958, the company went through a reorg and became the Nakamura Manufacturing Company. And this is where the name Namco comes from. In the 1970s, they would create their first coin-operated mechanical driving simulator, Racer, and would later go on to create video games. Their first original video game was a game called GB, which was made in 1978. It wasn't until the next year when they released Galaxian, the first video game to use RGB color graphics, that Namco would really break into the video game industry. That success was quickly followed by probably one of the biggest games of all time, Pac-Man in 1980. After that, they would be trying to figure out a couple of games, and they would have hits after that. They would have Galaga, which was a follow-up to Galaxian, and was probably one of the most successful sequels of that time. Then in 82, they would hit upon a new concept, They would hit upon a game where, instead of following a maze, you made the maze yourself. That game was Dig Dug. Dig Dug was developed and published by Namco in Japan on the Namco Galaga hardware. Outside of Japan, it would be published by Atari. The Namco 8-bit Galaga is an arcade game system board that was first used by Namco in 81, and it was first used on 
the game Galaga, which, as I mentioned, is the sequel to Galaxian. And then it was used on Bosconian, which is a standout because it was the first game to have a continue feature. Then in 82, it would be used on Dig Dug, and then later on Xevious and Super Xevious. Let's talk a little bit about the technical specifications. The game technical overview. The main graphics and sound are three Z80 processors. The sound chip uses the same custom three-channel wave sound generator as Pac-Man. A custom I.O. controller handles the controls. The video resolution is 288 by 224 and every game using this system board uses a different video board, except of course Xevious and its sequel Super Xevious, which use the same. And technical overview. In Dig Dug, you take the role of Dig Dug, who is a tiny guy with a harpoon and an air gun, and it's your job to dig underground in your garden to rid it of monsters. And there are two type of monsters. The pukas, who are these red balls with legs and goggles. The puka just sort of hops back and forth, but there's another villain, the more dangerous Figars, and these are little dragons who can breathe fire. Now as Dig Dug moves along, you carve out tunnels in the dirt, so you're making your own maze. Now the enemy will usually move back and forth in its little area, or wander through whatever maze you've made, but they can also turn into ghosts, and you'll just see their eyes moving straight toward you, and they'll move through the soil, kind of speeds things up. The more dangerous thing about the eyes is that Unlike normal mobility, where you have the four up, down, left, right, they can move diagonally, which makes them difficult to hit. Dig Dug has to follow the left, right, up, down mobility. So once these things start attacking you from multiple directions, it gets kind of hard. Now, many people who look at Dig Dug just at first think, well, this is great. It's a really open thing. I can tunnel anywhere. That's not actually the case. There is actually a grid overlaid onto the screen, and it's 14 by 18. And in that 14 by 18, you cannot get to every part of it. The bottom row is never used, and it displays the number of lives and the number of rounds you've played. The very top row is used to display the current score and the high score. So you can move and go into those areas, but remember you're always stuck on a grid of some sort. You can never cut halfway through that grid. But when you first play it, there is a pretty good illusion that you have the freedom to do all that. The Retroist Podcast will return after these messages. You are the player, and the arcade is the arena. You focus your mind and propel yourself into a universe where you're the master of your destiny for as long as you can keep the trip going. This is the Arcade Experience. We're ColecoVision. We bring the Arcade Experience home with games like Donkey Kong with multiple screens, arcade controls, and arcade graphics that let you have the Arcade Experience at home because your vision is our vision. ColecoVision. It isn't termites. It isn't mice. It's Atari's Dig Dug, the earth-shattering arcade game. Doug digs his own mazes. He digs for balloon men. He digs for dragons. And now he's digging his way into homes everywhere. Dig Doug is under this world. 
Adventure is on the horizon. Stanley's going buggy. Mario Brothers have their hands full. And Donkey Kong's going ape. It's rough seas for Popeye. And Snoopy's got to get on the ball. But you can help. You got Nintendo Game & Watch. That's pocket power. Widescreen or multi-screen games you can play indoors or out. They tell you the score and even the time. They're pocket power. They're Game & Watch. 14 and all. Only from Nintendo. And now back to the Retroist Podcast. Now there are multiple ways to take out your foes in Dig Dug. When they released this game the first time and went into arcades, it was a big hit, they noticed that that was the thing that people loved about the game. The ways you can do it is you can use your gun to pump up your enemy. So you shoot your spear into them and then hit your button real fast and cause them to explode like a balloon, which, if it wasn't so cartoony, would be rather disturbing. The other way to kill them is to drop rocks on them. And if you do it properly, you can actually take out multiple enemies at once and you'll rack up points for doing so. We'll talk a little bit about scoring later. Remember, though, those rocks, unlike your gun, can also kill you. Once you move up to a rock and you start moving out of the way, get completely out of the way, because once that rock falls, it could smush you and your enemies. A really weird twist of the game is that once you've killed all the enemies, the final one starts freaking out and runs to the top of the screen to try to escape. So basically what you're doing is hunting him down and executing him. It's sort of that moment where you turn the tables, like I guess in Pac-Man, where the ghosts turn blue. It is oddly satisfying in a sort of 8-bit sadistic way. Playing the game, everything starts off pretty slow, but as you start clearing levels, the pace of the game grows, and you will be forced to come up with new tricks to try to survive. And probably the one everyone should learn pretty quickly is to use the pump gun to not just kill the Puka and Figar, but instead to just disable them, and you can do that by inflating them slightly, and then being able to pass through them. Now a little bit about the main character in the game, Dig Dug, as he's known in this game. In other Dig Dug properties, he gets a proper name, and that is Hori Tezo. It's kind of cool, he is the father of Hori Susumu, who is the main character in the Mr. Driller series, and is the ex-husband of Toby Masuyo, who is the heroine of the game Baraduke. The name Hori Tezo is a pun on the Japanese phrase for I want to dig. A lot of the mythology and information about Dig Dug derives from the Mr. Driller series, and pretty sure all of it comes from Japan, which is a shame because there were games like the PC game Dig Dug Deeper, which has Dig Dug in it, but simply names him Dig Dug and doesn't get into the why and how of his background. So when Dig Dug is released, it is an almost instant success. The advertisements read, Dig a maze down deep in the ground. When a flower sprouts, you play another round. Use your pump just like a bazooka. Use it to puff up the bad, bad puka. Pump up Figar, put out his flame, eat all the veggies, and win the game. Dig Dug came in the standard arcade cabinet, which is the system I've mostly encountered. There's also a cocktail cabinet version for two players where you face one another. I've never seen nor played on the cocktail cabinet, but I would really like to spot one one day. The original Namco version of the game had some glitches, and those would be cleared up by the company that would build it in the United States, Atari. So let's talk a little bit about some of those glitches. First of all, once you've made it to 999,990 points, your score will roll over to zero, and no additional lives will be awarded to you after this point. 
the flowers on the top of the screen will stop updating at round 69, but the indicator at the bottom of the screen will continue updating until round 99 before rolling over to round 0. At this point there will be no more flowers, and once you've made it to round 101, the flowers return. In the original arcade version of the game, the Pukas and Figars will slow down once you've made it to round 124, and again at round 136. This reduction speed will continue every 12 rounds until you've made it to round 256, which is the kill screen. Now in the original Namco version of the game, this game had a kill screen on round 256, and a kill screen is a screen in which you can go no further, kind of become more famous because of the King of Kong. Some people have heard of the Donkey Kong kill screen. In the original version of Dig Dug, once you hit round 256, which registers in the game as round zero, the round starts with a puka directly on top of Dig Dug, which will cause you to lose your lives, and you'll burn off your remaining lives pretty quickly. Atari revisions of the game corrected this problem. There's an interesting little trick that you can do. I've never been able to pull it off, but I've read about it and have tried it a couple of times. Usually I fail. I like Dig Dug, but I'm not very good at it. Okay, so here's what you do to try this glitch. In the game, get down to two pukas. Right when you next to a rock, inflate a puka just to delay him, and when he starts moving towards you, move under the rock. Quickly turn around and start pumping him up. And using the delay of the rock dropping, you should be able to cause the puka to burst at the same time that the rock hits him. If you do this right, the other puka that you've had in the game will disappear, and the game will get really confused, and you will have all the time in the world to just dig around clearing out all the dirt in the game. You can reactivate the game by dropping another rock, and then you will proceed to the next round. Kind of a cool glitch. I've never been able to pull it off. Here's a fun little fact. There are built-in high scores to Dig Dug, and some people don't notice that the initials are N.N, A.A, M.M, C.C, and O.O, which, if you're looking at them vertically, spell out Namco. Just a fun thing you might not have noticed. Today's show is brought to you by your local gardener. Remember, they're nature's partner. To become the perfect gardener, check with nature's partner. Them gardeners are really useful. Now a little bit about scoring. Each round has four different colored levels of earth, and killing monsters in the bottommost level earns more points than levels above it, and so on. If you kill a puka or a figar in earth level 1 from above or below, you get 200 points. If you kill a puka from the side, you get 200 points. If you kill a figar, and it's more difficult to kill a figar from the side because they breathe fire, you get 400 points. And as you get deeper into the earth, you add 100 points for every level to a puka and the figar from above and below. And you add an extra 200 points from the side for the figar. So, for example, on level 4, killing a puka will get you 500 points. Killing a figar from the side will get you 1,000 points. So, good luck doing that. Now, as I said, you can also kill monsters by dropping rocks on them for pretty big points. The more you kill with each rock, the more points you get. So say you kill one monster, you get 1,000 points. You kill two at once, you get 2,500. Three, you get 4,000. Four, 6,000. Five, 8,000. Six, 10,000. And if you can get seven monsters all at once, 12,000 points. Another fun bonus is that 
Once you've knocked down the second rock in each round, a vegetable or fruit or some other special item appears. And if you run over this item, you get bonus points. That item only appears for 10 seconds, so you've got to hurry to get it before it disappears. Sort of like the fruit or keys in Pac-Man. As you go higher in rounds, the point value of those things increases dramatically, so they become your priority over monsters. They are also the place where the Galaxian flagship, which is something that Namco likes to stick into its games in Cameo. The things you get in the game are as follows. You get carrots, turnips, mushrooms, zucchini, eggplant, remember they said eat your vegetables, green peppers, tomatoes, garlic, watermelon, the Galaxian flagship, of course, which is the cornerstone of any healthy diet. And if you're lucky enough to be good enough to get to level 18, you get pineapples from that point on, the king fruit. Does this sound familiar? That is the musical work of Yuriko Kino, who is probably best known for composing the music for Dig Dug. He also would go on to work on Xevious, Super Xevious, and the game Alien Sector, amongst many others. When you have a game as successful as Dig Dug, it invites imitators, and sometimes blatant ripoffs. There's a pirated clone of Dig Dug called Zigzag, which I cannot attest to this, but I think I've seen it once. The sprites in the game are pretty much the same, but the game itself looks like a kind of horrible, darker version of Dig Dug. There is a change to the game, and that's the addition of a pickaxe item, which allows you to move faster through the dirt. Kind of interesting, but overall a lesser game. Dig Dug has had many ports over the years. The game has shown up on the Atari 2600, 5200, 7800, the 8-bit computer, the Intellivision, the Commodore 64 and VIC-20, the Apple II, the Famicom, there was an MS-DOS version, version for the NES, the Game Boy, the Game Boy Advance. There was a version made for the ColecoVision that eventually was released onto the internet to play. It's sort of messy. There was a version made for the TI-99 4A the Xbox 360, the Wii, and of course on mobile devices. You got the imitators, you got all the ports, and of course there were sequels. Dig Dug 2 was released in 1985, kind of an unusual game in that it's got a different viewpoint and slightly different gameplay. The game Mr. Driller was originally conceived as a sequel with Dig Dug 3 as its working title, but it would develop into its own distinct series, as I mentioned, a related series. In 2005, Dig Dug Digging Strike was released for the Nintendo DS, which combined side view play of the original with the addition of overhead play view of Part 2. It also added a link to the Mr. Driller series, which is cool. In 2001, Dig Dug Deeper, which was a 3D remake of the original, was released on the PC by Infogrames. The Retroist Podcast will return after these messages. I want to thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for attending the third international conference on science and technology. This afternoon, what our the heck is that? Oh, I don't know, but that's another one. Good gracious, there goes another one. They're multiplying. 
Now back to the Retroist Podcast. According to the Killer List of Video Games website, a great source for video game information, Dig Dug is rated the sixth most popular coin-operated video game of all time. The Puka villain has made a cameo in other Namco games, most often in the Pac-Man World series, and Puka was playable for the first time in the game Miss Pac-Man Maze Madness as an unlockable character for multiplayer. He's also available to play in Pac-Man World Rally, as is Figar. If you're playing Pole Position, another game that Namco made after Dig Dug, you will see an advertisement with Puka on one of the roadside billboards. And in Pac-Man World, he appears as a friend of Pac-Man, who was kidnapped by Talkman, which makes me wonder, is Pac-Man an enemy of Dig Dug? Makes you think, huh? In modern times, I've played Dig Dug a lot on my Xbox and played it on Atari and the NES when it came out. But still, my favorite memories of it were playing it in the basement of my friend's house in a way too hot summer in the early 80s. My fandom for it was growing every time I played it, and I often wonder what would have happened had my friend not discovered this instant popularity based on the game. Would I be better at Dig Dug? Probably not. But the gameplay itself is so compelling, it brings me back again and again to try to be better. Although, it has been 30 years, so maybe it's time I gave up already. Nah. We are 
are all solid members of the rock family. We're metamorphic, igneous, or sedimentary. I'm granite. I'm agate. I'm sandstone. I'm soapstone. Thanks for listening to the show. For more retro fun, drop by the website at www.retroist.com. You can follow me on Facebook and Twitter. I'm at facebook.com slash retroist and twitter.com slash retroist. The music you hear at the beginning of the show and sprinkled throughout is by Peachy. Peachy makes great music, and if you have any musical needs, you can email Peachy at peachy at retroist.com. The Dig Dug art that you see on the website was provided by new Retroist team member Sean Harder. If you read the Retroist, you probably noticed a lot of Sean's art starting to show up on the website. We're very pleased with that. If you want more Sean Harder art, you should check out his blog where he's posted a ton of art at harder, H-A-R-T-T-E-R dot blogspot dot com. Thanks for listening to the show, and I hope you have a great weekend. Which of you are the metamorphic rocks? We are. I'm slate. I'm nice. I'm schist. I'm quartzite. We were formed when other rocks were squeezed and changed by heat and pressure in the earth. Which of you are the igneous rocks? We are. I'm granite. I'm basalt. We're two of the igneous rocks. We were formed when molten rock solidified. And how about the sedimentary rocks? We are sedimentary rocks. Limestone. Sandstone. Shale. We were formed when rocks were broken down by weathering and deposited in layers in the rivers, lakes, and oceans. We are all solid members of the rock family. We're metamorphic, igneous, or sedimentary. I'm granite. I'm agate. I'm sandstone. I'm soapstone. We're flint, gneiss, and gypsum, and quartzite. I'm limestone. I'm pumice. And I am mica schist. We're porphyry, obsidian, and marble. Things being equal, I'd rather be playing Mr. Do. This has been a retrospective production. Goodbye.